Section twenty five of the Phenomenology of Mind, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by phone. The Phenomenology of Mind, Volume One by George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. Translated by James Black Bailey. Chapter five C, subsection B. Reason as Lawgiver. Translator's Note. The next step in the development of individuality is to bring out the universal conditions of its coexistence with other individualities. This it can do because it is complete in itself and is essentially self-conscious reason. These conditions are many because of the diversity of its own content and of the relations in which it stands, and are yet the conditions of individuality which is one and single. Hence the plurality never implies a separation. The conditions limit each other's operation and their precise operation must be determined. These, then, are the two stages in determining the general conditions or laws of coexistence of individuality. 1. The enunciation of different laws by and for rational individuality. 2. The relation of these laws inter se and to the single principle from which they all proceed. Both stages owe their existence to the activity of reason reason promulgates laws and criticizes tests the validity of the laws hence the two following sections end of translator's note reason as lawgiver spiritual essential reality is in its bare existence pure consciousness and also a particular self-consciousness the originally determinate nature of the individual has lost its positive significance of being inherently the element and purpose of its activity it is merely a superseded moment while the individual is a self in the sense of a universal self conversely the formal fact itself gets its content and filling in active individuality with the distinctions it draws within itself for these distinctions compose the content of that universal the category is implicit an sich, as the universal of pure consciousness it is also explicit für sich, for the self of consciousness is likewise its moment it is absolute being for that universality is the bare self-identity of being thus the significance of what is object for consciousness lies in its being the truth it is and it holds good in the sense of being and holding good by itself as an independent entity an und für sich selbst it is the absolute fact which no longer suffers from the opposition between what is certain and what is true between universal and particular between purpose and its reality but whose existence is the reality and action of self-consciousness. This fact is therefore the ethical substance, and consciousness of it is ethical consciousness. Its object is likewise taken to be the truth, for it combines self-consciousness and being in a single unity. It stands for what is absolute, for self-consciousness cannot and will not again go beyond this object, because it is there at home with itself. It cannot, for the object is all its power and all its being. It will not, because the object is itself, or the will of this particular self. It is the real object inherently as object, for it contains and involves the distinction which consciousness implies. It divides itself into areas or spheres, massen, which are the determinate laws of the absolute reality, that is, the ethical substance. These spheres, however, do not obscure the notion, for the moments, being bare consciousness and self, are kept contained within it a unity which constitutes the inner nature of these spheres and no longer lets these moments in this distinction fall apart from one another these laws or groups massen 
of the substance of ethical life are directly recognized and acknowledged we cannot ask for their origin and justification nor is there something else to search for as their warrant for something other than this independent self-subsistent reality an und für sich sein des wesen could only be self-consciousness itself but self-consciousness is nothing else than this reality for itself is the self-existence of this reality which is the truth just because it is as much the self of consciousness as its inherent nature sein ansich or pure consciousness since self-consciousness knows itself to be a moment of this substance the moment of self-existence of independence and self-determination it expresses the existence of the law within itself in the form the healthy natural reason knows immediately what is right and good as healthy reason knows the law immediately so the law is valid for it also immediately and it says directly this is right and good this a particular for there are determinate specific laws that this is fact itself with a concrete filling and content what is thus given immediately must likewise be accepted and regarded as immediate as in the case of the immediacy of sense experience so here we have also to consider the nature of the existence to which this immediate certainty in ethical experience gives expression to analyze the constitution of the immediately existing areas massen, of ethical reality examples of some such laws will show what we want to know and since we take them in the form of declarations of the healthy reason knowing them we have not in this connection first to bring to notice the moment which has to be made good in their case when looked at as immediate ethical laws everyone ought to speak the truth in this duty as expressed unconditionally the condition will at once be granted that is if he knows the truth the command will therefore now run everyone should speak the truth at all times according to his knowledge and conviction about it the healthy reason this very ethical consciousness which knows immediately what is right and good will explain that this condition had all the while been so bound up with that universal maxim that it meant the command to be taken in that sense it thereby admits however in point of fact that in the very expression of the maxim it eo ipso really violated it the healthy reason said each should speak the truth it intended however he must speak the truth according to his knowledge and conviction that is to say it spoke otherwise than it intended and to speak otherwise than one intends means not speaking the truth the improved untruth or inaptitude now takes the form each must speak the truth according to his knowledge and conviction about it on each occasion thereby however what was universally necessary and absolutely valid and this the proposition wanted to express has turned round into what is really a complete contingency for speaking the truth is left to the chance whether i know it and can convince myself of it and there is nothing more in the statement than that truth and falsehood are to be spoken as they come just as any one happens to know intend and understand this contingency in the content has universality merely in the propositional form of the expression but as an ethical maxim the proposition promises a universal and necessary content and thus contradicts itself by the content being contingent finally if the maxim were to be improved by saying that the contingency of the knowledge and the conviction as to the truth should be dropped and that the truth too ought to be known then this would be a command which contradicts straightway what we started from healthy reason was at first assumed to have the immediate capacity of expressing the truth now however we are saying that it ought to know the truth that is that it does not immediately know how to express the truth 
looking at the content this has dropped out in the demand that we should know the truth for this demand refers to knowing in general we ought to know what is demanded is therefore strictly speaking something independent of every specific content but here the whole point of the statement concerned a definite content a distinction involved in the substance of the ethical life yet this inherent determination of that substance is a content of such a kind as turned out really to be a complete contingency and when we try to get the required universality and necessity by making the law refer to the knowledge instead of to the content then the content really disappears altogether another celebrated command runs love thy neighbour as thyself it is directed to an individual standing in relation to another individual and asserts this law as a relation of a particular individual to a particular individual that is a relation of sentiment or feeling empfindung active love for an inactive love has of course no existence and is therefore doubtless not intended here aims at removing evil from someone and bringing him good to do this we have to distinguish what the evil is what is the appropriate good to meet this evil and what in general his well-being consists in that is we have to love him intelligently unintelligent love will do him harm perhaps more than hatred intelligent veritable wesentlich well-doing is however in its richest and most important form the intelligent universal action of the state an action compared with which the action of a particular individual as such is something altogether so trifling that it is hardly worth talking about the action of the state is in this connection of such great weight and strength that if the action of the individual were to oppose it and either sought to be straightway and deliberately fiel sich criminal or out of the love for another wanted to cheat the universal out of the right and claim which it has upon him such action would be useless and would inevitably be annihilated hence all that well-doing which lies in sentiment and feeling can mean is something wholly and solely particular it amounts to merely a temporary relief which is as contingent as it is momentary chance determines not merely its occasion but also whether it is a work at all whether it is not at once dissipated again and whether it does not itself really turn to evil thus this sort of action for the good of others which is given out as necessary is so constituted that it may just as likely not exist as exist is such that if the occasion by chance arises it may possibly turn out a work may possibly be good but just as likely may not this law therefore has as little of a universal content as the first above considered and fails to express anything substantial something objectively real per se an und für sich which it should do if it is to be an absolute ethical law in other words such laws never get further than they ought to be they have no actual reality they are not laws but merely commands it is however in point of fact clear from the very nature of the case that we must renounce all claim to an absolute universal content for every specific determination which the bare and simple substance and its very nature consists in being simple might get is inadequate to its nature the command itself in its simple absoluteness expresses immediate ethical existence the distinction appearing in it is a specific determinate element and thus a content standing under the absolute universality of this simple existence since then an absolute content must thus be renounced formal universality is the only kind that is possible and suitable and this means merely that it is not to contradict itself for universality devoid of content is formal and an absolute content amounts to a distinction which is no distinction 
that is, means absence of content. In default of all content, there is thus nothing left with which to make a law but the bare form of universality. In fact, the mere tautology of consciousness, a tautology which stands over against the content, and consists in a knowledge not of the content actually existing, the content proper, but of its ultimate essence only, a knowledge of its self-consistency. The ethical being is consequently not itself ipso facto a content, but only a standard for deciding whether a content is capable of being a law or not, when the content does not contradict itself. Reason as lawgiver is reduced to being reason as criterion. Instead of laying down laws, reason now only tests what is laid down. End of section 25